Hello, Dalton. Art. Hi. Hi, Arthur. Um, we are for our listeners. We are on an impromptu garbage shoot. Um, uh, we have this Friday afternoon kind of chilling, and I text Dalton and said, "Hey, do you want to talk about some movies?" Uh, because I want to talk about them. And here we are. And I said, hey, wouldn't you know it? I've seen both of the movies you want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I, I went back through your letterbox to see what you had and haven't seen uh, to see where we could cross. But that dream scenario, which is uh, you know where we're at today, right now, I think, is where we're going to start. But um, is one I've been kind of wanting to parse out a bit because I still don't know that I know where I'm at on it. Um, it's been a few days now. Uh, since I watched it, maybe even longer. I can't remember when I watched it. Maybe last week. Um, but I don't know where I'm at on it, and so I, I just need to talk it out. Maybe the same with Saltburn. I think we're pretty evenly killed on Saltburn, and we may be pretty evenly killed on Dream Scenario as well. Yeah, but we'll find out. I'm I'm curious to kind of talk through. I've I've heard some of the criticisms of Dream Scenario. I should try to read some more of them and internalize a little bit more. Uh, but I'm 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 excited to talk through it with you because I think it is. Uh, a movie that doesn't really tell you what it's about. And I think assuming the movie is telling you directly what it's about is sort of a, a way to like not have a fun time with the movie. If you take it at face value as a cancel culture movie. Um, yeah. And that's sort of the main criticism I've heard of it is like, do we need another cancel culture movie right now? Uh, or like, why even bother after tar? Um, so I, you know, and fair, I, you know, I obviously, this movie was probably in production when Tar was in production, so that can't be helped. But, um, you know, it, it is worth bringing up. And I guess we'll get into that as we, we kind of crack the movie open. And then, yeah, I think for for old Saltburn, we'll have fun talking about it. But I'm pretty much right where you're at, I, I think. Well, uh, I, I guess real quick, uh, for those of you who have never tuned in to any of our shows before, uh, I am Arthur Gordon and I'm joined by... Hello, I'm Dalton Stewart. That's right. Uh, it's the the two good boys of the good trash genre cast. Pops is out and about in the world, and so we're doing the good boy thing and talking about movies. We're sweaty tooth um, madmen right now. Don't lie. We're cramming so many movies into our brains. <laughs> I don't know how we're it's functioning. Ins- it's insane um, how many movies I've watched uh, this week. I think it's so. yeah. It is we're- probably not. I'm sure. Like I'm putting up like juvenile numbers compared to like critics you know you know like people who are doing it full time yeah well yeah i was thinking man i think it was yesterday or the day before but i was just thinking like hearing the stories of like roger ebert just sitting in a theater in chicago six to eight hours a day you know watching movies back to back probably multiple times a week or whatever especially as thing you know before screening links were a thing before d i don't think people were sending out screener vhs copies I'm, i'm assuming that wasn't a thing um i could be wrong um, about that and if I am I would like to know uh, I just can't imagine studio sending out VHS's to all of the critics uh, to placate them so they could review their movie um, but I've seen a lot I've seen a lot this week and for me it's a lot <laughs> and so my mind is it, but I think I don't know if you feel this way to me it really kind of the the gems truly stand out when you when you uh, jam them together for sure I, I think that's very true and and you know it is fortunate that a lot of the stuff that you know we've been cramming on to sort of get caught up for the the end of the year it, it helps that a lot of this stuff is is quite good you know they unfortunately because of the way the movie release cycle works they do save a lot of great stuff for the last you know six weeks of the year 
um, especially just with you know limited uh, to you know platform releases as, as they do the, the limited to wide sort of thing. You know, so Saltburn, for instance, took a little longer for us to get to, uh, and I think Dream Scenario as well had a, 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 a even smaller release before it opened here. Um, I know it wasn't. A, I don't know. It's not one A twenty four put out as wide as they've put out some other other stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, but yeah, I'd seen a lot more advertisement for it. I think though, like social media, like online, I'd seen a lot of ads for Dream Scenario in comparison to some of their other stuff. Yeah, that, um, that's fair. I do feel like I've I've seen the trailer for it in front of tons of different movies, and then yeah, I think they know what kind of like uh, memeable memeable movie they have on their hands with Nick Cage and that performance. So yeah, I've seen yeah. quite a bit of it on Instagram and stuff. It's yeah. Well, well, let's get into it. I'm going to give us a synopsis. I'm going to talk a little bit about the movie and then we'll just we're going to say what we think about it. And we may get into some spoiler stuff because there's a lot going on in, in dream scenarios. So. um, So, yeah, here's a synopsis. This is coming from a 24 uh, on their website. It, it says hapless family man Paul Matthews, played by Nicolas Cage, uh, finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. But when his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom in this wickedly entertaining comedy from writer-director Christopher Borgley uh, of Sick of Myself and the producer Ari Aster. Uh, This film is written and directed by Christopher Borgley, being distributed by A24. It had its premiere at TIFF, uh, Toronto International Film Festival, uh, earlier this year. Uh, It stars Nick Cage, Julianne Nicholson, Tim Meadows, Dylan Baker, Michael Cera, and Dylan Jalula. Uh, the movie is rated R uh, for language, violence, and some sexual content, and it runs around an hour and 42 minutes. And that is Dream Scenario. Dalton, uh, what do you think of of this movie? I mean, it really is just such a great era for Nick Cage right now. It's so great to be experiencing this part of his career. You know, I know you and I are uh, a little younger, so we, we didn't get to... See things like Raising Arizona in theaters, or you know, that something wild, or not something wild, uh, uh, wild at heart, rather. Uh, so you yeah. know, we're we're coming to know Cage and sort of his his face off Con Air era. Yep. That's sort of where we're we're first becoming acquainted with him, and then he has sort of that fallow period uh, for a while. And you know, there's gems in there for sure, but you know, just doing a lot of weird stuff, and it's. It's good for the weird stuff to finally be working. You know, the I think maybe even earlier than Mandy, but I think that's kind of a point you uh, one you can point to and see it. Uh, this is where he's starting to like still do small movies, but like really make good choices and like is working with directors that have an idea of how to use his star persona. Yeah. He, he's finding these marriages that that really work, I think. Yeah, and that for me is enough to really carry me through most of Dream Scenario. Uh, and if mm-hmm. the, the Cage performance is not working for you as well as it works for me, uh, I think that could definitely turn some audience goers off. I, I also think sort of the social satire component that creeps up later in this film and then sort of pivots into a more science fiction oriented than than mystical. Uh, realm where the the early parts of the film sort of stay rooted in, in sort of mysticism and, and dream and subconscious, uh, and then the latter part of the film sort of science science fictions it a little bit more. And so I think there's some hurdles there. Whether it's getting on board with the nose prosthesis on Cage and the 
the the voice he's doing or, or getting on board with what the film decides to do with its premise. I think there are there are hurdles here if you're you're not on the film's wavelength from from get go. But I, I was pretty much sucked in. I loved the dream sequences in this film uh, that we get throughout. Obviously, that that is the premise. You know, this this mild man, as as Arthur said, this mild man professor starts showing up all over the world in people's dreams. But it starts small, and I think that's kind of what's exciting. Like, I, I believe the first dream we get. It's been a few weeks since I saw it now, but I think the first dream we get is one of his daughters. Uh, dreams yep. and then yeah it's like students and it's it's like starts with people and x that he runs into so it starts with people that he you know has some connection to and then it starts going wider which i, I think is sort of again sort of a fun component of of how this story unfolds and i was just sort of locked into the the folk hero i not even folk hero but uh you know uh dream virus uh of uh Paul Matthews. <laughs> I was just kind of sucked into the premise and and sucked into the dream filmmaking enough that uh, that really carried me through the whole movie. Uh, what about you, Arthur? Like, I, I know you, you said you're still kind of unpacking where you're at with it. Uh, what works for you? What do you have a harder time with? Where 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 are you at before we get into spoilers? Yeah, 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 I think that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I love Nick Cage, and I've kind of been on board with him for the last I don't know what, ten years or so now. Like in this kind of space where he has somehow reinvented himself, but he also, you know, I, I appreciate that he's still not too like big to do like a few direct, I guess, direct to streaming now type of movies. Um, like he still has that, you know, he's, he's collected paychecks. Like the, the guy's getting money. Uh, I think mostly cause he needs it um, because of his, his, uh, his demons and vices and things. But, uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, when you put him in a partnership that understands how to best navigate that persona, like you said, we saw it with Mandy. Uh, we saw it with, um, uh, what is the color one? The color out of space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We saw it there. That guy. Uh, I thought mom and dad does it really well. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, this is another one that really does do it well. It feels, I mean, I had seen comparisons to Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones and uh, Ari Aster, who's producing on this, you know, and so uh, that was kind of a, a good sell point for me as well, I think, and kind of getting on this, you know, ready for this movie. Um, because, it, I mean, I thought a lot of uh, being John Malkovich, um, I think maybe more so, and then maybe adaptation obviously as well because of cage but uh, those two movies i thought a lot about um because this is kind of very high concept indie drama thing that we don't really i I don't know it's in like a weird place because it's a sort of surreal absurdist type of film um that really i think charlie kaufman's been most well known for uh doing um and so I, I tend to like his stuff. And so I liked most, the, I like the premise of this. I like the setup. I like Cage's performance. I'm on board with the decisions he's making, you know, the, the way he moves, his body language, his, uh, and, and those dream sequences are, I mean, some of them are just funny, you know, like the, the sheer absurdity of them, uh, of these things that are happening to these people. And then, uh, Paul Matthew shows up. Um, and so I think that's fun. I think that, uh, I'm I'm on board to see where it goes. Like I'm I'm pretty well invested in in what's happening because I want to know how does it resolve, what's going on, what are we going to get, 
And then I do think when it tries to, and I think this is something you may mention in your letterbox review, when it does try to maybe do something a little more concrete thematically to cue us into some stuff, maybe it loses its legs a bit. You know, we've already mentioned the kind of cancel culture stuff, um, which is probably the big sort of thing it does, right? Oh yeah, that's the, the uh, very much the big E on the I chart. But I, I think you know, celebrity and and uh, yeah. online mob mentality are sort of well, yeah, just I mean, as firmly ad- in this. I, I, you know, and I know that that is that sort of online mobs is kind of tied into the idea of cancel culture for a lot of people. But I think the two are not necessarily the same thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, even like review bombing, right? Sure, like exactly. Come as prevalent as very much that mob mentality unleashed. Um, so that's definitely a, a part of it. But also, yeah, I mean, the kind of satirical approach to brands and content and advertising and that sort of capitalist idea as well is present here. Um, um, Borgley sort of bringing in some of his, what you could call maybe his day job. I'm sure he would bristle at that description maybe, but you know, he's worked in advertising uh, to kind of get, get his footing in, in, in filmmaking um, between, I can't remember if it was before or after sick of myself, um, but you know, he's definitely worked in that world some. Um, gotcha. So there's definitely a, a point of view he has, and I think that's a, a yeah. big part of why he wants to to examine this kind of fantastical idea through our world's lens, and not really heighten the world at all, and try to say, well, no, let's not really heighten it. Like, how how do we deal with cultural phenomena right now? And I think it's it's pretty interesting how it it brings that out. And I, but I I still think I'd land on what I said in that review, Arthur, that you mentioned just that. Yeah. When it does try to maybe be more concretely about what does it mean to be canceled? It's like, okay, maybe this isn't totally working. Although at the same time, I'm, I am so invested in Cage's performance and what a sad sack (laughs) Paul Matthews is that I am, I'm invested much like, you know, and again, Ari Aster's a producer on this film, much like Bo is afraid this this pitiable sad sack i i can't help mm-hmm. but like look look on at his foibles and his his misery and hope it works out kind of okay for him um so that that really pulls me through i guess even those those moments where it is maybe a little too burdened by uh discourse uh, to to really like have <laughs> ha- have a theme without you know that it doesn't buckle under its own weight you know what i mean yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, I think it's solid. Uh, I don't know, though, that I'm not maybe thinking about some other movies I might be wanting to watch instead while I watch it. But I, I'm very much immersed in or uh, in, in what is taking unfolding here. And it really it is largely due to Nick Cage's performance, like you say. Uh, he really he sells it. And I'm really um I'm really bought into to his journey because he 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 is playing it so well that I do sympathize with him, and I'm also kind of like, don't be that guy, you know. Like, I mean, we also have those moments, and then you feel for the guy, uh, and so it's it's I think a very on the surface it is a very sort of caricaturist type of thing he's doing, but also I think there's a lot of nuance to what he's doing as well. Oh. And I think that's maybe the the brilliance of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a real character there for sure. I, I as much as it is having fun at his expense sometimes. I do think that there's real pathos and empathy for that character, both in the screenplay and in Cage's depiction. Like, but it is so it's, I mean, he is Mr. Choices with this performance. I mean, the, the gait, the posture, 
uh, the the voice. Like he is definitely, and again, I'm sure they the the hair and the nose, like the the, the mm-hmm. cut, what the makeup department brings to it. Um, it. It is really thought through, and I think the choices that he makes are, are really thought through as well. And you know, he is a you know he doesn't fully break bad or anything but he is in that kind of that lineage of character of of well-meaning nice guy who has some sort of simmering feeling of uh well aggrieved entitlement we'll say uh to reference a, a term we talked about when we discussed falling down um and he's you know he's he's definitely no defense um you know michael um oh my gosh blanking on uh his like, Kirk, uh, Kirk Douglas, not Kirk Douglas, but his son, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Good Lord. Sorry. I had a total brain fart there. <laughs> falling, falling, falling down. down. Yeah. Um, so again, I don't think it, it fully goes there, but again, that, that sort of, you know, white male of a certain age, uh, thing bubbles up in Paul Matthews, I think. Right. And I think that's definitely something we're meant to take from this character is that he has this entitlement within him that when, when the celebrity comes his way, he, he does not act as as graciously as as maybe we we would all like to think we would, um, but that, that's that's part of the journey, I think. And I think that's what's more interesting than you know the the sort of again to to broadly characterize it cancel culture stuff that comes up later in the movie. I think how he experiences his celebrity, both good and bad, his his fame and his infamy. I think that's what's interesting about the film, as you said, the choices, the character. And, and yes, maybe the movie doesn't always make the most interesting or exciting decisions with where it, it chooses to take us. But I think the filmmaking is always pretty spot on. I, I really, mm-hmm. you know, it's often said and it has been said when people talk about this movie, there's nothing more boring than somebody telling you about their dream. Um, yeah. Unless you're in it, uh, one or two, unless the filmmaking is like really compelling. And I think, uh, you, you know, Borley's making choices here with how he depicts the dreams. And I think they're, they're all really interesting. You know, it's, it's not, uh, folding a cityscape on top of itself, like a certain film about dreams, but it is using dream logic in interesting ways, I think. Um, what about you? How's, how does that component of the film work for you? Are you on board with the dream sequences as, as much as you are with Nick's uh, characterization of Matthews? Yeah, I think so, man. I, I, I do like the the sort of, I guess, escalation of them. Maybe the best term uh, there. Uh, because, it, I mean, the, the first one is kind of jarring, but it lets you immediately kind of know what you're into and in for. Um, and then they kind of progressively get a little more intense, a little more exciting, a little more titillating. Um, and as you know, Paul begins to discover more people who've had dreams. Uh, he begins to discover that people have had different types of dreams. Uh, and then that continues to sort of escalate from there. Uh, and so I, I've enjoyed all of them. Uh, and it's a little bit of, you know, getting to go maybe into a comedy or getting to go into a horror movie or getting to go into a disaster movie. Um, and this movie is very, you know, I, th- I think the other thing, I mean, uh, formally talking is budgetary. This is a very small film, I think. Um, I, you know, I don't know the budget, but I do know that it can't be very big. They're using kind of very limited sets and stuff, repurposing things quite a bit. Um, but they're making the most of them. Uh, there's, you know, one really good dream sequence, 
uh, in a building and there's like an earthquake or something's happening and things are falling and you know that looks really good. Uh, and then we have a dream sequence that's set outdoors, kind of a very monster movie-ish type of thing. Uh, and that's very effective too. And so, yeah, I, I really like the sort of diverse spread of types of dreams we get uh, that operate as dreams. I think it is that, you know, honest, earnest dreaminess. You know, we talked about dreams when we talked about uh, Long Day's Journey to Night, right? Dream logic there in that film. And there's a thing in which a lot of times in dreams in movies as they're portrayed, they're a little too exaggerated or a little too obvious. But I think the dream sequences in uh dream scenario really do feel dreamlike in that way that dreams do, I think tend to occur with us. And so I, th- I think all that's handled very well. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with you there as well. Well, you've, you've sort of alluded to, the way the dreams turn throughout the film. Should we go ahead and let folks know we're, we're going to go ahead and talk about what actually happens in this movie from a plot perspective. Yeah, let's go ahead. So uh, dear listener, spoiler alert here. Um, yeah, let's open up this movie because there's a lot going on, I think, and there's a lot on its mind, I believe. Well, and the, the thing you could most obviously point to it to say, like, are you sure this isn't just about cancel culture is, uh, what happens when Paul meets uh, Molly, the Dylan Galula character, um, who is the the first person he's met that is having very sexual dreams about him. Uh, and, you know, he, he meets her as part of this, like, marketing deal he might be doing. Maybe he's going to take a deal with Sprite. Maybe he's going to get to meet Obama. This is sort of <laughs> him at the height of his power. You know, he is... Uh, as they allude to with his his biology uh, stuff, and this is just you know kind of maybe too cutesy for some, but I kind of like this this bit of screenwriting they talk about from an evolutionary biology standpoint. Standing out is only good for mating, uh, and that that does of course end up coming to a head for Paul. Um, and you know he has this very awkward uh, sexual foible where maybe he is going well, not maybe where he is going to follow through on. Uh, being intimate with this this young woman who's asked him out uh, to talk about her dreams, and you know he he farts and shoots himself, uh, not literally shoots himself. Uh, I'm trying to use euphemistic language, uh, and just is has the most embarrassing moment of his entire life, probably. Uh, and and then that's from there, dreams start to take a turn. Right, he has this moment of infidelity, uh, you know, at the height of his fame. And and then people start having really bad dreams. And uh, as you said, they are little horror movies. I think the the Hammer murder is particularly horrific. Oh yeah, um, pretty pretty good uh, bit of screen violence there. I think. Um, mm-hmm. And even the when Paul finds himself hunted by himself, uh, I think that's sort of a, a really well orchestrated sequence. But again, because he has this moment of infidelity, this moment of human weakness. Um, and, you know, does to, uh, you know, does at, at some levels take advantage of his situation, right? I mean, Molly is obviously, uh, you know, on board with the situation, but there is sort of a weird dynamic there inherently. Um, so that's obviously the point where you, you point to go, well, isn't this, you know, not how is this not about cancel culture? And I don't know. I don't know that the film says one to one. That's why it happened. But I do think. It is maybe because the dreams reach critical mass. I think that that's sort of one of the big unanswered questions that I think it's up to us as the audience to decide. Like, is there some sort of 
ethical, moral, magical thing going on, a reward punishment system going on with these dreams. Why, why do they stop when Paul exits the limelight after, you know, uh, starting and, and the dream technology takes off. And again, I, I don't know how much I like the end of the movie. I think that is sort of what holds yeah. me back from fully going for it. I think it's an interesting idea, but I don't know that it totally comes together. The sort of influers, yeah. influencers getting into dreams off of Paul Matthews' success um, and that being where things turn after the world turns on Paul. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What about you? The, the, these sort of timely in an annoying way themes you know do they rub you the wrong way do you think the film handles them poorly um i it, that's the thing i'm kind of not sure about right it's um because i i guess if we read it as can as proper cancel culture kind of a thing right uh, he's getting recorded he's you know people are chasing him people are tracking him down um which feels very you know, part of that cancel culture idea, you know, kind of uh, it is the, the mob mentality thing, but also partnered with this idea of canceling somebody. Um, I don't know that it's hard to say if he's, you know, earned, I guess, earned being canceled. Right. Um, depending on how you read the scene with Molly, I guess is, is where that is. Like you say. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think there is a thing that happens when people get famous or things get famous that the Internet or people, I shouldn't just say the Internet, it's just the way we most commonly, I think, uh, group think about things anymore. Um, but people will turn on things once they're popular, right? Um, you know, a movie will be loved and then it gets a bunch of Academy Award nominations and people will start to turn on it or, you know, the people, uh, the negative voices will become more prominent, or something like that. And, and, and so, it, it's a really interesting place, I think, to try to take the movie. But I don't know that it works. Um, and that's the big thing I was wrestling with. You know, I, th- I think, uh, again, this also sort of influencer critique is a bit maybe haphazard at the end. Yeah, I think it's pretty well. pretty ha- half-baked. I, I'd agree with you there. Um, and, you know, that's a cool idea. That's an interesting idea, but it, it does kind of feel like maybe they wrote themselves into a, a corner and, and just had to figure out a way out that could kind of resolve it without directly resolving it. Um, I think Paul's in an interesting place by the end, right? He is trying to, I, I mean, pretty tragic place, really, by the end of this movie as he's trying to maybe put his life back together in the fallout from all of this. Well, and I guess for me, that's what works, right? To counter, you know, as a, the other side of the coin to, uh, from something like tar, if we go ahead and say that, you know, Mm. that that's sort of a movie that does this sort of thing really well. I I think the idea of having a somewhat innocent, because I, I go ahead and read that scene with Molly as, you know, not, not great, bad as far as you know what he's. Lo- he's cheating on his wife. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, be, that is a thing. That's. I think the the situation with Molly is not that loaded, but I agree. That's you know he is being unfaithful to his wife. Yeah. Um, and I think reading that, I think that's a big part of why he feels so attacked at the end. I think that's what it, it's really about. It, it gives us a guy who didn't you know didn't murder anybody, didn't 
groom abused didn't you know it didn't have some terrible crime but we act we get to look at what happens when the herd turns on somebody when when that standing out gets everybody else a little pissed off and i i think from a moral point of view giving him a foible giving him something wrong he did lets us kind of turn on him as an audience uh but i i think keeping him from having a truly great crime is sort of mm-hmm. what allows us to be an interesting movie. It allows us to explore like, okay, if we still have more empathy for this guy than we have for somebody like Lydia Tarr to keep it fictional, um, how, how do we process sort of the attack that unfolds on Paul and his character uh, in, in the aftermath of the dreams turning violent and scary? Um I think that's that's really where the film shines. Like, can we feel bad for this guy who definitely screwed up and has been kind of annoying about this fame uh, and like really frustrating and dorky? Um, can, can we can we still feel for him? And I, I think, you know, from from a place of like, can we empathetically think about what we do when we decide as as a collective we're going to descend upon someone? I you know I think that's worth thinking about from a you know, a more humane point of view. And again, making the crime fictional or, you know, fantastical and dreamy, I think is, is an interesting way to explore, you know, this, this phenomena that exists within our, our modern uh, culture. Yeah. So it works for me more or less, but I, again, I, I would understand somebody kind of bristling entirely at, at the movie wanting to go there. Uh, yeah. For me, it lands the plane in, the relationship with uh, his wife, with the Julianne Nichols character. Um, yeah. I love, loved her in Mayor of Easttown. Really, really enjoyed her at pretty much every time I see her. Uh, and she's so good here. And not entirely thankless role, but it certainly could have used a little more. But I, I love, you know, at the end of it, he just wishes he had not blown up his marriage and his relationship with his children. And that is kind of an obvious place for the film to go. But it is... I don't know that final dream of you know him focusing on becoming a lucid, <laughs> a lucid dreamer and a, like a dream projector, so he can, you know, have one kind of some sort of uh, warm moment of closure, uh, even if it's yeah. in a dream with uh, the woman he loved. Cool talking head, got that, got that beautiful, even bigger suit. Yeah, to really blow yeah. the suit up even bigger than it is. <laughs> It's not making sense. It's really great. Uh, yeah, I I love that final dream, and that that to me kind of like lands the plane pretty damn effectively. Um, yeah, and I you know I I am interested in what happens with this family. I'm interested in their dynamic and and you know the way in which things sort of fall apart. Um, I do like uh the filmmaking choice, you know, to a moment where it is kind of leaning into this cancel culture thing where he's giving his apology video after he has a dream about being <laughs> murdered and the music yeah. is swelling and the score is on his side. And then we cut to his kids watching it on their phones and there's no score. And it's yeah. just like pathetic. Uh, yeah. I thought a pretty, a pretty funny moment about bad apologies. Um, but again, I think that's what's so fun about this movie is does Paul Matthews have anything to apologize for? By the end of the film, sure. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, maims a woman's hand. 
uh, yeah. because of his insistence on trying to fix the situation. Um, and yeah. that's maybe his greatest crime uh, is, you know, doing doing serious violence to someone uh, outside of, you know, harming the marriage contract, obviously, um, as it were. But yeah, I, I think when he goes into exile, that's sort of a really interesting place for the character to be at and like leaning into his infamy in France and becoming like sort of a true crime figure. I think that aspect of like his journey is, is still like compelling, even though, Mm -hmm. you know, we dip into the influencer stuff and that I agree with you. doesn't really work. Um, But yeah, I, again, despite sort of the ways in which this could be timely in an annoying way to, to, use that phrase again uh i'm on board i i really i'm i'm makes me curious to see sick of myself I, i've heard sort of mm. uh interesting things about that one i know it's a little mixed uh on reception but I, i'm curious to check it out for myself and see what what the hubbub's about uh, i i liked the interview um that i heard with borgley on the, the big picture so i i'm kind of interested in him in him as a filmmaker now uh so i'm excited to see where where his career goes and always excited for Uh, something great like this from cage what about you arthur are you interested in seeing more from borgley are you uh, uh, ultimately on the film side as far as a success as far as calling it a a success i mean yeah i i I think more than not you know i think it is a, a, a solid journey i think there is some turbulence along the way but i think you're right i think it lands the plane well it's one i think i would go back to uh just because i think there is a lot to look at and a lot to unpack and uh, I, I think you really have a field day doing all sorts of fun analysis with this. I mean, thinking psychoanalysis and thinking, you know, all these other sorts of thoughts. There's a lot to play with and, and delve into and have some fun with that you can kind of talk through here. Um, and so, yeah, I enjoy it. I, I you know, I'm really curious, uh, you know, I, I'd be up to see Borley do something else. You know, uh, I haven't seen Sig of myself either. Uh, I'm not really aware of it, but um I think this is a solid, solid movie that I would, you know, come back to. I just, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know that, you know, is it three and a half star or four star? I don't know, you know, right. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I mostly positive on it though. It's one I'm really interested in. I, I still, you know, kind of thinking about it several days out, um, which is usually a good sign for it. Um, and so, yeah, you know, and if you're, you know, listening, you haven't seen this yet, you know, I think, again, I think if you're a fan of Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones, uh, Ari Aster, um, that's kind of your, your wheelhouse, um, I think you'll go for this, you know, I don't know, you know, how general audiences go for it, um, but uh, I, I think if you're into those uh, storytellers, um, it'll be a movie you'll dig, um, I, I'm was kind of surprised to see this get a golden globe nomination for cage. Um, this doesn't feel like the type of movie, uh, the Hollywood foreign press typically goes for, um, other than to maybe just get Nick cage there. Uh, and so I was a bit shocked to see its, uh, name on the nominees list, but I think it's cool. I think, uh, cage does a great job. And so I'm glad to see him there. Yeah, I I hadn't uh, got a chance to really look at the nominations yet. I'd heard some of them, but I didn't realize he picked up one. So happy, hey, happy it's for wi- him. It's it's wild. I, um, we could do a whole thing just running him down. I'm sure, but uh, you know him and uh, um, oh my god, Bo 
Bo himself. Oh, uh, Joaquin. Uh, yeah, of Joaquin. Course. Yeah, yeah, Joaquin got gets nominated as well for Bo is not afraid. Um, uh, oh, which, oh, oh, Arthur. Yeah. Bo is very afraid. I hate to correct you, but he's, oh, you're, hey, you're, it's been eight months. I know. I, so hey, and I know you like tigers are not afraid, and I'm sure that that, yeah, that was what was clanging around back there. Yeah, <laughs> Bo, yeah, Bo's not afraid of tigers. Um, he actually probably is deathly afraid of them. Um, that movie needed more tigers, maybe. Uh, but yeah, to see Bo's, uh, Bo, oh my God, Bo's afraid. Bo is very afraid. What's it called? <laughs> just, just Bo is afraid. <laughs> okay, jeez. Uh, to see that get a nomination too was very surprising as well. Again, I think it's a great performance from Phoenix. I just didn't expect you know that to be something from the Hollywood Foreign Press to nominate. So. Yeah, I love to see two uh, particularly A twenty four ass movies get a little uh, mm-hmm. recognition from one of the stuffier bodies. But uh, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. after the whole thing blew up on them a few years ago, the Hollywood Foreign Press is trying to mix things up i don't know yeah hard to it, say what's it, it going on over there way. yeah so anyway um yeah so that is a dream scenario um if you like it you can always let us know uh you can get a hold of us good trash genre cast at gmail.com you can find us on twitter kind of uh good trash media there um otherwise you can find us on uh, letterboxd instagram uh i'm usually the arthur gordon or some kind of form of kx caliber Dalton is usually Dollywood Squares, I believe, that, in most places. That is correct. Uh, yeah, uh, Dream Scenario is in theaters now, and uh, with that uh, hot new HBO deal, I'm not going to call it Max, God help me, uh, it uh, you know, will be on that streaming platform soon because of that, that deal they inked with A24. So if you, you're not able to get out to theaters, it will be coming to streaming fairly soon. But uh, I think some smaller theaters are still showing it. I know the our, our little art theater here in OKC is still showing it uh, some. So, you know, if you if you were excited by this conversation, go go support this weird little film. Uh, but, you know, if, if you uh, have a busy holiday season ahead of you, don't worry. It'll be coming to your, your internet device soon rather than later so yeah uh go check out this movie go check out another movie uh, and we will catch you all next time